Are you still mixing station gas and oil for your string trimmer, leaf blower, or chainsaw? Eliminate the mess and the guesswork with True Fuel, the original pre-mixed two-cycle fuel. True Fuel is ethanol-free and precision-engineered for small engines, improving performance, and extending the life of your outdoor power equipment. And True Fuel is available for both two- and four-cycle engines. Empower your equipment with True Fuel. Available at your local home and garden center today. Introducing the s Podcast channel, your one-stop source for all types of podcasts. We are always on the look for new podcasts to join our channel. If there is any topic you would like to discuss, contact us now. We can be reached on all social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, and or Instagram. You can also contact us by email or leave us a voicemail at 516-570-9248. So make sure to contact us now so you can start your podcast soon. And now, a beauty production presents... The most awesome podcast to ever embrace a pair of headphones, Sarasso and the Beard. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Sarasso and Jose the Talking Beard Rivera. And welcome to Sarasso and the Beard Podcast, episode 24. I am Nick Sarasso. And I'm the Talking Beard, Jose Rivera. And as always, we're getting further along our podcast episodes. We just passed our, uh, what did we say, Michael Jordan-esque episode at 23 uh, in our last one, so continue moving along, and it's always good. And uh, entering March now with our podcast, as we're March fifth, and Jose, we got a lot to talk about with football. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about some of the draft, upcoming draft coming along with the Giants and the Browns having the top two pits. But I want to begin with Kirk Cousins because it seems like the report is he's listed it down to four NFL teams he's willing to go to. The possibilities are the New York Jets, the Minnesota Vikings, the Arizona Cardinals, and the Denver Broncos. So which of the four to begin with is the most surprising team that he's picked as his remaining four? Well, for me, the most surprising team is the Minnesota Vikings. And, you know, when you look at the four teams that were listed, Arizona Cardinals looks like they're moving on from Carson Palmer. They definitely need a quarterback. They also don't have one of the highest draft picks either. So they they may not be able to grab a young QB from the draft. So they might look to get a guy like Kirk Cousins. The Arizona Cardinals are also a team that might not want to take time and wait for a young quarterback to develop. So they'll go the route of signing a free agent like Kirk Cousins. You look at the New York Jets, same thing. You know They've had a lot of QB trouble, especially when it comes to picking young QBs. They've drafted a bunch over the past couple of years, but yet none of their top prospects have really rose to the occasion. And again, they're sitting at the sixth spot in the draft, I believe, sixth or seventh spot. They may not be able to grab one of the upper-tier young QBs, too. So they might be another team that's looking to grab and sign a veteran, kind of like Kirk Cousins. Um, and really, so the Minnesota Vikings, to me, the reason why that's a surprising team is because this is a team that had three quarterbacks under contract in the clay last year. They had Sam Bradford, they had Teddy Bridgewater, and then they also had Case Keenum. Now, uh, Teddy Bridgewater is going to be set to become a free agent. I think we all know that already. Um, but there's still a chance he might resign with the Vikings, possibly. Uh, we don't you know we don't know yet what's going to happen with Sam Bradford, but I believe he is eligible to become a free agent as well. You can correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, but also Case Keenum is eligible to become a free agent, but it looks like the Vikings, there was rumors that they might franchise tag him. So for Kirk Cousins to have the Vikings on his list to me is the most surprising because they're not a team that really needs a quarterback. They have three other options that they can go to, whether it's through franchise tag or re-signing one of these guys. Um, don't get me wrong. I think if Kirk Cousins comes to the Vikings automatically, he's the number one quarterback, but it is surprising that he would go to a team where there is a heavy quarterback competition, as opposed to the other teams that we just listed who really actually need a quarterback in place right now. I'm going to take the, uh, Arizona Cardinals are really surprising in my part because you take the Broncos and the Vikings. I think they offer you the highest upside right now to win with top defenses, the Jets have the most money available, and it's a New York market. Uh, mix that in with the Jets and Broncos, both have, I think, the fifth and sixth pick in the draft. But the Arizona Cardinals, as you said, they're they're middle of the pack right now in the draft. They do have David Johnson, but he just missed the entire season last year. Larry Fitzgerald is getting older. And when you break down the rest of the divisions, uh, the NFC West becomes one of the most upcoming divisions out there because the 49ers, with Jimmy Garoppolo getting better, the Rams played fantastic last season winning the division. Seattle's still a prime threat. So if you're Kirk Cousins, if you go to Arizona, and 
be that may, it's one of the teams I'm rooting for for him to go to because I like David Johnson and Larry Fitzgerald, and I want to see a great offensive team in Arizona. It could be the hardest route to go by compared to the other teams, especially like the Jets when you consider who's the rest in their division and how many years does Tom Brady really have. So for me, it's very surprising Arizona made it to the final four of this list because I just don't think that when you consider the outside elements of the division and who you're going against, it doesn't seem like that'd be the greatest matchups for Kirk Cousins long term. But I, which team in your mind holds the most upside that if you combine Kirk Cousins on their current roster, that team could, is a, almost a guaranteed Super Bowl threat or could win a Super Bowl. So which one of them are you looking at with Kirk Cousins as a combo? Well, it's actually pretty funny that you said that because I think it's actually the Arizona Cardinals. You know, all this time you're giving me reasons why you're shocked that they made it, but you just answered my question as to why they should be on that list. They have a premier running back in David Johnson. They have Larry Fitzgerald, who, yes, is getting older, but he can still throw up those points on the board. He's still a dynamic wide receiver. He just needs that quarterback to take care of him and to actually feed him the ball. To me, Kirk Cousins is that quarterback. And even though I'm not his biggest fan, I still think Kirk Cousins is slightly overrated. You throw Kirk Cousins on the Arizona Cardinals with that offense, with that pairing of David Johnson in the backfield. I know he's coming off the injury, so it's going to be maybe a slow start for David Johnson. But if you throw Kirk Cousins on the Arizona Cardinals, they're a lot better team than they have been in the past. And that's no knock on Carson Palmer, but Kirk Cousins is better than Carson Palmer. He's better than any other QB that they're going to have backing him up. And, you know, it's like you said, where would the Arizona Cardinals finish last year if David Johnson was actually healthy? We don't know the answer to that because David Johnson was out for the whole entire year. You know, basically he got hurt in week one. So we really don't know, you know, the impact of if Johnson was healthy, where would the Cardinals be? Would they be more competitive against teams like Seattle? Would they be able to be more competitive than the Rams? If you get a healthy David Johnson back and you combine that with an all-star caliber quarterback in Kirk Cousins, you're looking at an entire different scenario in my eyes. Um, But you know, so I think it's the Cardinals. A close second, though, and I've been going back and forth on this as well, too. If you, know, if you don't mind me giving me a second option, the, the close second, though, is the Denver Broncos, too. Because, again, that's another team where Peyton Manning came in there. And, and don't get me wrong, Peyton Manning was not at his best when he played for Denver. But that offense was still perfect for him. They still have dynamic receivers. They have a good offensive line that took care of Peyton Manning. That defense allows you to throw minimum points on the board and still win ball games. So, again, I think... The Cardinals are his, should be his number one choice. A close second would be the Denver Broncos in terms of being able to win. I would love to see him come to the Jets just for the Jets fan base sake. You get a good, consistent quarterback. And I think his energy would fit in New York and would really pump up this Jets team. Uh, you know, referencing back to the you like that comment when he was in Washington. But like, I just think it's funny how you think the surprising fit would be the Cardinals. You're surprised that that made the list. But to me, I think that should be the favorite for Kirk Cousins to land. The Cardinals did finish 8-8 eight and eight last season, and they didn't have David Johnson all year. So I think that's a remarkable feat in and of itself. And I think Kirk, uh, Carlson Palmer spent some time injured as well. So, I mean, there, there's a good mix between that. Um, you know, it, it's interesting that you didn't pit the Vikings as uh, the team that was a game away from getting to the Super Bowl uh, it, it compared to the other three that were all eight and eight or worse last season, so I, I'm going to take the Vikings if he was uh, if he jumps to the Vikings. And I know Case Keenum played phenomenal last season. He had the second best uh, completion percentage in the NFL to Drew Brees last year. So obviously you'd have to get some great efforts from Kirk Cousins, but that's what you get with Cousins, and you'll finally have some viable options at running back. That's something he hasn't had over the last few years. And I think with the Vikings or the Cardinals, I don't want to use the Broncos as much because I don't really view C.J. Anderson as a top running back compared to a Dalvin Cook or a David Johnson. But so Cousins does have some viable options. Uh, but this one I, I feel is interesting because I, I got into an interesting debate about her Cousins earlier in the week. And... One of the things that I said was, if he's in the NFC, he's not really a top five quarterback in the NFC. He may be on like the outskirts looking in, but in the AFC, when you break it down, there's only like five or six quarterbacks that are 
consider that you could even put ahead of Kirk Cousins because when we look at it, there's Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, and both of those are aging quarterbacks. Deshaun Watson and Andrew Luck, we could put them in that Kirk Cousins range, but their health is coming into questionable. And then Philip Rivers, the Chargers never seem to be good enough. And then Derek Carr, also the same question marks of health. So if Cousins were to consider anything, should he be looking more at an AFC team? Because if he goes to the AFC, you're talking about him being easily one of the top five, top three quarterbacks in the entire AFC. Then if he's in the NFC, he's not really one of those top quarterbacks. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, it's kind of like that baseball reference. When a pitcher goes from the AL to the NL, it's like, oh, it's like, well, his ERA is going to drop significantly, right? You see it all the time. Max Scherzer goes to the NL. He's simply dominating all over the place. You know, Zach Greinke goes back to the NL. He's dominating left and right, too. It's almost the same thing in football. When you go from the NFC to the AFC, it's believed that you're going to have a little bit of an easier time because, let's just face it, the NFC, in general, almost every team legitimately has a chance to win their division or a chance to make a name for themselves, as opposed to the AFC, where you know it's going to be the Steelers and Patriots at some point or another in the mix for the final spot. No offense to the Jacksonville Jaguars this year. But I don't think that Kirk Cousins is really looking at, hey, where can I be a top five QB? I think Kirk Cousins is a guy who wants to win. And at the end of the day, he's going to look for the best option to win. Um, maybe that's Minnesota, like you said, if he replaces Case Keenum. I just don't know what the quarterback situation is over there. And I don't know if Kirk Cousins, if he walks through the door, don't get me wrong, I would give him the starting job right away. But I don't know if the Vikings are willing to give Kirk Cousins the key to the offense just yet, especially with what happened last year and the revolving door that they had at quarterback and how many people were successful for them, um, especially for Case Keenum. Uh, I do think Arizona might be a better fit. Yeah, it's going to be a tough competition. But honestly, the Rams did good last year. I want to see them do it again before I, you know, I don't call them a fluke anymore. Seattle is a dynasty still, but that dynasty doesn't last forever, and you're still seeing them slow down a little bit. They're already talking about trading guys like Bennett from their defense or possibly trading Richard Sherman. So that's showing you that Seattle's probably coming back down to earth a little bit. And again, San Fran, that's great that Garoppolo's doing really good. But let's see it over a full season because everybody's ready to put him in the Hall of Fame when he's only played in five football games. So I'll take my chances. I still think Arizona is the best fit for Kirk Cousins. And you know, one of the teams not on the list is the Cleveland Browns. And sure, they're... Went 0-16 last season. They're not the greatest of teams. But the Browns did have three first-round draft picks last season. And the Browns do have a tight end. They do have a stronger defense. And you're looking at them having two pits in the top four that you can mix it with a guy like uh, Barkley and you add in the top wide receivers that they have if Josh Gordon can finally you know, not be high all the time and you have Corey Clement. So, is it a little strange that the Browns really weren't one of uh, Kirk Cousins' choices? Well, I'm not going to say it wasn't strange. I mean, honestly, who volunteers to go get shot in the face, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's basically what it is going to the Cleveland you know, You're basically signing up to be hurt in some kind of way, physically or emotionally, mostly emotionally. You can ask every quarterback that walked through the doors of that practice facility, where are they now? It's a, you, you could probably put a whole primetime special on ABC of where are they now. You know, ABC News... Nightline, what happened to Cleveland's quarterbacks? Where are they now? They're probably mopping some floors somewhere because it just doesn't work out over there. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that they're not on the list. But if I was Cleveland, I'd be pushing really hard at Kirk Cousins right now. Honestly, I really would. Because when you look at a team like this, and this is a team that literally, like every year, mostly every NFL team has like, what, one or two needs that they can fill in the draft. You know, you see it all the time. Okay, what are the team's draft needs? Well, Cleveland literally goes into every draft needing everything. And, and that's not a good thing. And I think Cleveland did take a giant step forward last year by drafting, what, three defensive players with their picks last year. Um, but I'm sorry, besides Deshaun Kaiser, they drafted uh, Jabril Peppers and Miles Garrett in the first round. And they played well this year. Let's not, you know, let's not undermine the fact that, yeah, the Browns were 0-16, but it's not like they lost every game atrociously. There still were some competitive games in the mix there. And like you said, this Browns team does have potential. They have some wide receivers in the mix. Josh Gordon, when he's not suspended, when he's not under the influence, to me, could be a top 10 wide receiver in the league. I would say top five, but that might be sort of a stretch. Top 10, definitely, if he stays healthy and if he stays focused and stayed on his game, I think Josh Gordon can definitely you know, come back to that level that he was a couple of years ago when he first broke into the league. Now, 
again, I'm not giving up on Deshaun Kaiser. I think he's a good young quarterback. But like you said, your favorite method of holding a clipboard, Kaiser could benefit from holding a clipboard for a couple of years behind a guy like Kirk Cousins. Because remember, Cousins is not exactly too young either. It's not like Cousins is going to burst through the door asking for a five, six-year deal. But when you're a rebuilding team like Cleveland and your fans are getting frustrated to the point where they're throwing you a parade, when you go 0-16, that's not a good thing. It's time to speed up the rebuild process. And how do you do that? By signing a veteran quarterback like Kirk Cousins, who automatically makes you somewhat better. Can we agree that with Kirk Cousins, they might actually win a game or two? I think that's realistic here, Nick. And like you said, they have two picks. And not just in the first round. They have two within, what, the top four? Yeah. I mean, you can grab the best running back in the draft, Saquon Barkley, and you can draft a top wide receiver in this draft. And all of a sudden, you gave Kirk Cousins two big offensive weapons to work with here. Your team will win a couple of games this year with Kirk Cousins behind the helm. I mean, relatively speaking, you get a 22-man starting line of defense offense, right? You have three that came in last year in the first round. You'll have two more that come in this year in the first round. A quarterback, and you got six players. And we already know that they're, they're great guys like Duke Johnson, like Joe Thomas, like Corey Coleman, Josh Gordon. The defense played relatively well, considering the offense wasn't in any of these football games, really. I, should he be considering the Browns? I mean, if you're looking for a chance to say, hey, what's really low expectations... What's a division I may be able to win at? And again, it's the AFC, and it goes back to what I was just saying. Of He's a top-five quarterback in the AFC. He's not a top-five quarterback in the NFC, and I really like Kirk Cousins, but I just can't put him up there considering the list of quarterbacks there are in the NFC. So I feel it's a much easier route to the playoffs and keep in mind the NFC is a revolving door when it comes to the Super Bowl when it comes to the playoff teams in the AFC it's really just a couple teams we've seen over the last few years what's it uh, Joe Flacco was the only quarterback in the AFC not named Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady or Peyton Manning to be in the Super Bowl in what the last 15 plus years so obviously there it's not an easy way in the AFC considering there's only two or three quarterbacks that ever been in the Super Bowl from that route, but I think it's certainly a weaker conference, weaker teams. Uh, a lot of different quarterbacks can't stay healthy, and there's a lot more question marks. Um, but speaking about the Browns, uh, reports are out that the Browns are willing to listen for offers for the first pick in the draft. Cleveland already has made moves that have wound up trading away Carlson Wentz, and Deshaun Watson as possible quarterbacks for this team. Should they really be listening to, for offers for the first pitch in your mind? Well, the answer to that, to me, yeah, I think, I think they should. Because really it depends what the Browns' approach is. If they're not in on a guy like Kirk Cousins, um, then I don't think they should trade it. Because I think there's a lot of teams um, before you uh, or should I say after that first pick, before they pick again at four, I mean, you have the Giants and you have the Colts. It's realistic that the Giants or Colts might end up taking Saquon Barkley. Um, and I really think the Browns should really consider taking Barkley, whether they want a quarterback or not, if they end up drafting another quarterback, whatever. The first pick in the draft should be Saquon Barkley. To me, I think he's the best player available. And no matter what happens with the Browns, if you get Kirk Cousins, if it's Deshaun Kaiser, if it's someone else, you can win. You can still win a couple ball games, I believe, with a good running back like Barkley behind you. Um, I think he's that much of a difference maker. I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the podcast, but you know, I think Barkley should be the first round pick. But I'm not going to disagree with the Browns here. If you can trade that first overall pick, maybe for a possible quarterback from another team, maybe the Chargers call you saying, "Hey, Philip Rivers for the first round pick." That might be a stretch, but. Let's well, say another team calls you and says, at that point. "Yeah, but I mean, but in general, though, let's or say Teddy a team Bridgewater. calls you. Yeah, I mean, but let's say a team calls you and says, hey, you know, we'll give you more picks later on in the draft. The Browns can retool themselves at some point. Again, the Browns still have a lot of needs, so you don't necessarily have to keep that first overall pick if you don't have to. It just depends what are you trading it for. And if I'm the Browns GM, you should be open to trading it. But the real question is for what." And I would have a short list of what I would actually trade it for. I feel like the Browns shouldn't be. And I, I, no, I'm, I'm not going to try and go into the Kirk Cousins part. But if you're Cleveland, 
how many teams do we ever know that have you know the number one and number four pick in a draft? And you have to go to what the seventy sitzers in basketball have done something along that line once, or had a possibility close enough to yeah, that. Yeah, they had they had uh, first and third not too long ago. Yeah, so like it's it's a rarity in and of itself, and you have to go years and years and years of really bad luck. Um, but if you trade away the pick, and obviously if it is Barkley that goes first, or or it is. Sam Darnold or whoever, and they have an explosion of a year like we saw did Sean Watson, like we've seen Carson Wentz. It obviously doesn't look for the, good on the Browns, and it constantly puts this mindset of, you know, we're rebuilding to get more pieces. We're rebuilding to get more pieces, more pieces, more pieces. There comes a point where you have too many pieces, and you're just not hitting on the draft or you're not putting the right players out there at times, or you're not getting people to sign with the team, because, again, you had three first-round picks last year. You have two in the top four this year. You have all the right pieces in my mind that you can make an impact to your franchise and tell your fan base, hey, we're in it this year. We're we're not just 0-16. We're not just going to be the first pick in the draft this year. We're going to win games. We're going to try and compete. We're going to try and make the playoffs. And in order to do that, we are putting out the best lineup there. Trading away the first pick in the draft to get two more first rounders, one this year, one next year, I don't think long-term is going to make any impact on your fan base. And it's just going to say, hey, it's another year of 0-16 or it's another year of 1-15. Tough luck, but deal with it. It's just not the right message you want to send to a fan base, even when that fan base is the Cleveland Browns who put up with everything that this team does wrong. Uh, so it, if you were listening to offers, it's got to be something that's got to be more than just two first-rounders because that's what you've been getting, and we're seeing all the impact players that the Browns have given up in these trades, and it's not worth it at the end of the day. Because if you, you would go back, would you take Carlson Wentz? Would you go back and would you take Sean Watson instead of those pits? So it's not working out at the end of the day for the Cleveland Browns to do so. So I don't agree with that being the right move to look for two first-rounders for the first pick in the draft. Maybe the fourth, but then you're not going with the QB if you go with Barkley and you're just setting your team up for the same exact part again. It doesn't work out long-term for me. Uh, so I don't agree with the, if the Browns are willing or to listen to offers. They shouldn't be. They should be just focused on this draft and getting the two best players that they think can get themselves wins. Uh, with the number two pitch is the New York Giants. And the Giants seem to be saying that Davis Webb is going to be the future QB and they want Eli Manning to be the starting QB for 2018 and possibly a few years further than that, even when he wasn't even starting at the end of the season for a gamer. And then it became a little bit of a trouble situation there. But, Jose, you're a Giants fan. Are you wanting the Giants to look for a QB at the number two spot? Are you wanting the Giants to get the running back? Or are you thinking that the Giants should be trading this pick? No, honestly, I think the Giants, if the Browns do not take Saquon Barkley, they need to take Saquon Barkley with the second pick. And honestly, it all depends what the Browns decide to do with the first pick. Um, which is what I want the Giants to do. If the Browns let Barkley slip, you're taking Saquon Barkley, best overall player in the draft. And when you think about it, again, and I'll, I'll stress this till I'm blue in the face, we don't really know what would have happened last year if this team would have been at least somewhat healthy. If Odell is healthy, if Shepard doesn't miss time this year, if Brandon Marshall stays healthy for a decent amount of the year, maybe this team is better. The real problems lie within the offensive line. A lot of their offensive pieces were missing. After a while, things just fell apart. Ben McAdoo is a fool. We all know that. Looks like one, thinks like one, coaches like one. Uh, it was a whole debacle last year. The wheels came off the train, so to speak, if you want to use that metaphor. Again, that giant season was, no pun intended, a giant mess. So you hit the restart button. You bring in an offensive coach that made Case Keenum look like Jesus Christ walking across water <laughs> last year. Because, again, I'm not even sold on Case Keenum at that point. But Pat Shermer does the unthinkable and not only goes through loses one quarterback but technically loses two because Bridgewater never really played last year and makes the third one look like Joe Montana Eli Manning is not the best quarterback in the world I think we can all agree on that but he is a serviceable quarterback and when he's coached properly and he has the offensive pieces Eli Manning gets the job done Davis Webb 
Again, we haven't seen him actually play in a game yet, but if the Giants brass really thinks Davis Webb can handle it and Davis Webb continues to learn from under a guy like Pat Shermer, under a guy like Eli Manning, then that's a process that I'm willing to trust. And right now, if you look at the Giants too, there's a couple weaknesses on their offense. And what is it? The offensive line? But also, when's the last time the Giants had a decent running back? I mean, to me, I think you have to go all the way far back to Ahmed Bradshaw and Brandon Jacobs. That duo was fantastic. But Glenn Perkins took a huge step backwards this year. Darkwa was all right this year. Who was the other one? Wade, I forget his name. Goldman? Goldman? He was okay. But you cannot pass on a guy like Barkley if he's available. To me, he's that Ezekiel Elliott-type player where if he's available, you grab him. I understand that the Giants need to start looking forward to the future. Completely understand that. But the Giants are also a big market team. And when the time comes for an Eli replacement, whether it's Davis Webb, whether it's maybe a quarterback that they can draft in the second round if one's available, the Giants would also have money, too, to go after whatever quarterback they want later on down the line. If Barkley is available, you take Barkley. If he's off the board, then I'm okay with the Giants drafting a quarterback. You know, uh, I'm I'm technically a Giants fan. Uh, I can say that. Te- technically, Technically. Right? technically. <laughs> uh, a lot of friends will argue with me on that one if I am because of uh, the struggle I have to saying something good about the Giants. But in this scenario, no, I have nothing good to say about the Giants right here. Uh, look, they went 0-4 when the guys were healthy. And if we want to blame it on Ben McAdoo. But who were those four losses to, though? The Dallas Cowboys, the Tampa Bay, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Good team, because in the beginning, I mean, of the they year, finished with what, like five wins or something. Yeah, but um, the, but you know, the Buccaneers were a good team in the first half of the season. They also lost to Philadelphia, which ended up winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> okay, you still lose two division games with Eli Manning and an offensive team that's healthy with Odell Beckham and Brandon Marshall. And I was. Again, I, I saw the 0-4 game when it was 0-4 Giants versus 0-4 Chargers, and every wide receiver literally got sniped off the field. Um, it, and yes, they still wound up losing to the 0-4 Chargers. Granted, they had, I don't even know what wide receiver was in that game by the fourth quarter for the team. I'm but, pretty sure Spagnola was running routes at that point. <laughs> at that point, I think it was King and some of the, uh, what, defensive linemen or cornerbacks at this point because they had nobody. Uh, but, look, they they had a great team coming off an 11-win season with a phenomenal defense, and you start the year 0-4, losing to teams like the Cowboys, to the Eagles, to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, all of these games they could have won. And they were close enough in some of these games, but their offense has never been there. The offense was never there the year before when they went 11-1, when they had 11 wins. It was their defense that was there. Uh, I assuming Barkley's not there, and the Giants are going to have the choice of let's trade the second pick for poss- for other pits, or let's draft the QB. They have to draft the QB. Because how many times have we had this conversation a couple of years back? Didn't the Giants use a third round draft pick on a quarterback, and everyone's like, "Oh, that's going to be Eli Manning's replacement." Well, three years down the line. The Giants draft Davis Webb. And now, oh, that's Eli Manning's replacement. Well, if he was, he should have been playing last year. After Geno Smith started, it should have been Davis Webb. Eli Manning's not good enough of a quarterback to win football games for the New York Giants and to make this team a playoff team. And if we want to believe Davis Webb is, that's fine, but it's certainly not going to be Eli Manning. There's... Nothing in my mind that makes it believable that Eli is going to be the quarterback that can get the Giants into the playoffs. Because it was the defense that got the Giants into the playoffs last season. And over the last five years, the team hasn't has posted only one season of 8-8 eight and eight or better. So it's really hard to blame anybody else than the one guy that's really been there the last few years. Overall, though, there's no reason in my mind the Giants don't draft the quarterback. But do you really think, though, I want you to look at the Vikings for a second. Do you really think the success to the Vikings fully fell on Case Keenum's shoulders? No, it fell. It was a very team effort. And we could say the same about, like, Nick Foles. But a big part of that has to do with the fact that Pat Shermer was running that offense. And again, if Pat Shermer can do that with someone like Case Keenum, and I'm not trying to knock Case Keenum, but let's be honest here. Case Keenum is a backup quarterback. 
until we can see him do it again under somebody different. If that guy's coming in here to work with a guy like Eli Manning, who's not the worst offensive quarterback in the world, I think you're discrediting him a little bit too much here. He's not Mark Sanchez, right? So, uh, but he's what, <laughs> the 13th best quarterback in the NFC? That's still better than being the 30th. <laughs> I, mean, but I, mean, like, but, I, I mean, there's only, there's only what, 16 teams in the NFC, and we got him at 13th at best right now? Yeah, I mean, but, you know, and that's because is, Arizona that, and Minnesota currently don't have quarterbacks. Keep in mind. But the point, the point <laughs> is, though, is that this is a quarterback that has gotten it done in the past. And you can't deny that. That there's been seasons where Eli Manning, yes, he's always thrown too many interceptions. That's kind of his thing. But there's the Giants have always been a team where it's defense first, offense second. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as the offense is contributing its part and the defense is doing its thing. So even when they were under Tom Coughlin, Eli Manning was still getting it done. I have every reason to believe that with McAdoo out of the door, the guy doesn't really know how to coach, in my opinion. He never fit this giant scheme very well. With McAdoo out, and if this team is fully healthy, and if they were able to draft someone like Barkley, and again, I agree with you. If Barkley's not available, there's no other reason why you shouldn't draft a quarterback. But if Barkley's available, you take Barkley, and you look for other areas to improve this offense to give this one last shot for Eli Manning to try and get this done. Because... Barkley is not a guy that you can pass on. Again, if Barkley's off the board, then by all means draft someone like Josh Rosen or I believe uh, Josh Allen out of Wyoming. Then, yeah, definitely you can do that. Um, I think it's worth doing it. But if Barkley's on the board, you grab Barkley. And I really believe that with this new head coach and Pat Shermer, very offensive-minded, I think you're going to see an uptick in the Giants' offense. Well, let's assume right now that Barkley isn't on the board. Because we've seen lately Leonard Fournette go in the fourth pick, uh, Ezekiel Elliott go in the fourth pick, and he's got and he, this is a guy that's posting better numbers in reps and everything uh, than all these previous running backs. We, we're seeing that he's just the best player. We're seeing that the Browns love him, and even if they don't have a quarterback, and one of the big things is we're all ta- we're still talking about a Cleveland Browns team that has the fourth pick in the draft and there's what a minimum of five or six quarterbacks you can choose from four of which you can barely tell a difference on statistically through their years in college so overall i i expect Barkley to go first i i think overall that should be the consensus in the as far as all NFL fans which leaves you at again the giants choice to either trade the pick when you're not ever really a number two spot or to draft a quarterback. Because you can't really tell me that drafting an offensive lineman with the second pick or a defensive lineman or, or a wide receiver when there's only one wide receiver considered to go in the first round, uh, it just doesn't make sense. Um, it should be drafting a quarterback for the future. It really should be drafting the quarterback for right now because, again, Eli Manning, only once in the last seven years of 10 wins or more. And that was the year prior when they went 11-5, and and that was a defense that wouldn't allow more than, what, 15 to 19 points a game? This was an offense that couldn't even put up anything. And that year they were fully healthy. So there's just nothing that can tell me that Eli Manning, when you can draft a quarterback, and all you got to hope for when you draft this quarterback is just be better than Eli Manning like almost every single quarterback in the NFL is. That's about all it is. Is Davis Webb better than Eli Manning? Probably not. But even if he is, he's not going to start over him. Is the second pick in the draft better than Eli Manning and most likely going to be able to start over him? Probably. Long term, I don't see them choosing Eli Manning for the future in a year or two. And they should be looking for hey, what's our best option to win for the next 10 years, not what's our best option to win this year? And even if it is this year, it's not Eli Manning. Uh, well, before we go on to the next topic, Nick, just remember this one thing. Three things are guaranteed in life. Death, taxes, and the Browns drafting a quarterback in the first round. So although the Browns should be drafting Barkley, I can bet money and my rest of my life savings, which isn't much, people, but I can bet the rest of it that they draft Sam Darnold with the first pick overall. You really think they're going? I I can't see them not going Barkley. Honestly, I, I obviously I think they'll take Barkley, especially like you said, with like eight quarterbacks available at the fourth spot. You know the Colts aren't going to choose a QB, so you only have to worry about the Giants choosing one, and then you pick again. Um, 
So ideally, it would be smart to pick somebody else first and then get a quarterback with their fourth pick. But then again, it's the Browns, and when have they ever done anything right? Well, keep in mind, they could. They could pull off what the Bears did, and I don't necessarily agree with it. But when the Bears moved up one spot in the draft uh, to trade with the 49ers, they could necessarily do that with the Colts. Why? <laughs> like, why? To get the same person you would have gotten at four? I didn't like when the Bears did it. I'm not going to like if the Browns did it. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not going to like if the Browns do that either. <laughs> and I'll, I'll trash the move, but worst case scenario. That's like trading up to move up one spot in the lunch line to get still get crappy food. It's not it's, it's not a not an enviable thing. <laughs> well, worst case scenario is that the Browns, if they really wanted and they really felt their quarterback was going to be selected, they could trade up. And if you're the Giants or if you're the Colts, are you going to say no to trading down two more spots, especially if you're the Colts who are never going to consider a quarterback in their draft pick, um, to move down one spot? And to get an extra pick from it, I mean, it's hard to take something away from that. So, I, I don't, I don't think that Cleveland, Cleveland's got all the marbles right now of what they want to play with, and their first move has to be draft a running back that looks like the best player in the draft. Uh, speaking about one more thing into the draft, Baker Mayfield unlikely to attend the draft. This isn't the first time we've seen quarterbacks or players not attend the draft. Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota did not attend, even though they were selected at the time with the first and second overall pick in the draft. Uh, but do you like the idea of Baker Mayfield not attending? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's not a big deal. I think it's all about personal preference. If they don't want to be there, it's fine. They're still going to get selected, obviously. Um, I think for him, it would have been nice to see him there because he is kind of a big personality. He's already running his mouth at the Combine saying that Cleveland should pick him, that he'd make them a winner. He's the best QB available in the draft. So it would bring a lot of eyes to the draft if he was there, but I'm not going to knock the guy for not being there. I mean, a lot of guys don't go. I'm going to say this is actually one of the smartest things he can do because if you're a quarterback that's even considered fifth at the moment and you consider yourself better than all the other quarterbacks. You might not present yourself the right way at the draft when you see Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, and all these other quarterbacks going before you. So you're saying he's going to throw a temper tantrum? <laughs> I'm not saying he's going to throw a temper tantrum, but I'm going to say like you could just be like, what's going on? Like, Are you kidding me? Or yeah, And obviously all cameras are going to be pointed on everybody there, and you just might not want to look like are you like that moment of like, are you kidding me? That's who you took over me type of look. And I, and I think Baker Mayfield is actually doing the right thing here by not looking to attend because you can only get yourself in trouble if you're expecting to be like taken fifth out of all these quarterbacks when you consider yourself first. And just remember one thing, remember one thing, Nick, write it down. You can write it down. You heard it here first. Baker Mayfield, New York Jets. That'd be interesting. I don't know if I agree with it, but it'd be interesting. Oh, I don't know if I agree with either, but I think in a weird way, I actually think it's a good move for New York. And that's saying something because I'm not Baker Mayfield's biggest fan either. You don't think he'll – you think he'll do well in New York media? I think his personality – I think he's just the right amount of brash that the fans would love it. Um, and he'll teeter against the media, but there's no denying his skill set too. And we've seen it before. You can be a jerk and you can be – you know, a hole at the bottom of your body. But if you've got the talent to prove it, they they can live with it. And, and again, I just want to, again, for the Sarasso and the Beard listeners, uh, we are going to cover a lot more of the draft when it gets closer to the draft, obviously after the draft. Um, but these were big topics right now to have a conversation about with her Cousins, especially being involved. So don't think this is our only point of covering the draft. We're going to be covering it a lot more, getting closer to the draft as well and further diving into a lot more players' pits. But we just going on those two and Baker Mayfield, of course. Uh, but staying with the NFL for a little bit longer, uh, Blake Bortles' contract extension, three years for $54 million. Jose, do you like the signing? My question is: Are you his agent, Nick? Did you uh, <laughs> did you get him all this money? Because, like I said, I think there's only two fans. Well, you said three fans of Blake Bortles: himself, his mom, and you, Nick. I mean, what kind of thing is that? I mean, you want to talk about jumping the gun way too early? Can we see him do it again? I mean, come on! I mean, that that's insane. And don't get me wrong, I 
you know, I owe Blake Bortles a lot of credit. I, I crap all over the guy all the time. It's one of my top favorite hobbies, top five favorite hobbies to do, actually. Um, and, you know, he played really good in the playoffs. He was looking like Peyton Manning all of a sudden, you know, flipping the ball around the field. Um, and he may not be as, as bad as I make him out to be. But come on, you're giving this guy a giant extension for a one-year thing. You don't know what's going to happen next year. I would have just liked to see him do it again. And not necessarily make the AFC Championship game again, but, you know, be in a division hunt. You know, lead this team to a division title, even if they just fall short. I would just like to see him do it again. I'm a fan of consistency. And when a guy puts together one great year, it's hard for me to say, hey, here's a reward for that. You know, here's the keys to my team for the future. Uh, Let me tell you, this was the perfect timing when he got signed because I was at a a bachelor party uh, and we were talking about football. And Blake Bortles got into the conversation because we were talking about like the AFC Championship games and everything. And I was, and of course, I said my f- favorite line: "There's only three people in this world that love Blake Bortles: his mom, him, and me." And the entire time, it was just like when he got the signing, I was just like Blake Bortles. The the entire rest of the night was perfect for this reason. Uh, look, I I like the sign, and yes, you can point a lot of things wrong to it. The fact that. You're right. He had one year of a pretty good year, uh, and you're in a division that's going to contain Andrew Luck, Deshaun, ja- uh, Deshaun Watson, and Marcus Mariota. So it's certainly going to be a tough division of quarterbacks. And then you have Blake Bortles, but Blake Bortles was already scheduled to make, I think, $18 million this season. Now he's going to make 20 and he signed for two more years. And it's not that much guaranteed money compared to the other quarterbacks in the league. It's really good on the cap room. It's a good signing by both uh, for both Blake Bortles and the Jacksonville Jaguars. It opens up a lot of different room for the team. And, and let's keep one of my favorite things in mind. Who was the wide receivers for the Jacksonville Jaguars? Because Allen Robinson missed the entire season. And then Allen Hearns, the second wide receiver on the team, barely played so Blake Bortles was throwing to nobody at times and yes they had the number one defense and yes they had Leonard Fournette but you still have to pass the ball to somebody at the end of the day yeah he was passing it to the other team the other team's defense he he was not really (laughs) honestly as much as we like to joke around on that stuff the guy was I think I don't know how he uh if he threw an interception against uh the Patriots but he was nine or ten and oh this year when he didn't throw an interception so he wasn't throwing interceptions all that much. And yeah, but so so are most QBs when you don't throw an interception. The thing is, though, is that to me, Blake Bortles, there's no denying that he's a good quarterback. But that's it. To me, in my eyes, he's just good. Last year, he was great towards the end of the season. I wouldn't say it was a great, phenomenal year for Blake Bortles entirely, uh, if you want to look at it from beginning to end. But it was great towards the end. If he can keep building off of that, great for Jacksonville. Because this is a team that looked like they were going to take a step in, step backwards. You know, when they drafted Blake Bortles, everybody said, okay, this is the QB of the future. And then after a while, there's been a lot of doubters, including myself. And then, you know, when you get to that point where it's like, man, I think we whiffed on this guy in the draft, that's a bad feeling. So kudos to him for turning it around somewhat. And kudos to the Jaguars for drafting a guy like Leonard Fournette to keep that rebuilding process going. But I want to see it do it again. I need to see more from Jacksonville. Because like you said, when this division is healthy, this is a scary division. This is a four-team race if everybody's healthy. And Jacksonville's defense is definitely going to have them in there again. They're definitely going to be in every game. But it's like you said, you need the offense to put up the points too. And can they do it again? I'm pretty sure they can, but I need to see it just to be proven right. And his only downfall is he played more than five games. Otherwise, he would have made $100 million. Just ask Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, Overall, I really like the move. And yes, that's part of the reason. Yeah, you would. Yes. (laughs) I'm convinced you're getting a cut of it somehow. (laughs) I don't know about that. I wish, but uh, I'm just happy for Blake Bortles. <laughs> uh, one last part. The uh, the Bears and Dolphins were considering a trade. Uh, they've had conversations late. The idea of the trade was sending Dolphins wide receiver Jarvis Landry in the 11th overall pick, uh, and another pick, in exchange to the Bears for Jordan Howard and the 8th overall pick. So the two teams would be swapping draft pits this year, and then swapping wide receiver and running back. Uh, a lot of this has to do with salary issues because Howard is going to make less than a million dollars over the next two seasons, whereas 
uh, Jarvis Landry is on a $15 million a year uh, deal this year and then could even be franchised Ted. So this is sort of a weird one for me because of the fact that we saw Kenyon Drake for the Miami Dolphins play so well to end the season. Is it a little strange for them to be talking about trying to get a running back as their choice uh, for Jarvis Landry? You know, at first glance, that is a little strange, right? You know, why would you want a an every down back, right, so to speak? Because Howard is an every down back, and, and so is Kenyon Drake. So why would you want another every down back when you have one in your backfield? But let's not forget, Nick, we're in an era where things are changing, and teams like to copy each other. And what's a formula that has worked over the past couple of seasons in the NFL is having two dynamic running backs. Look at last year with the New Orleans Saints, Alvin Kamara, and Mark Ingram. Now, I know Mark Ingram's probably going to leave in free agency, but having those two dynamic backs almost made the Saints unstoppable on offense. Look at the Atlanta Falcons, Coleman and Freeman. Those guys together were unstoppable together. And, you know, you, you keep seeing it. Look at the Panthers, Jonathan Stewart this year and Christian McCaffrey. You know, the two random guys they pull out of the stands in New England because it seems like whatever running backs they have, they get it done. Look at the Philadelphia Eagles, LeGrant Blount and, um, and Jay Ajayi. Having two backs seems to be the way people are going this year. You keep the legs fresh. You keep them all season long. You're alternating. It gives you different kind of plays. So it's not too surprising that the Miami Dolphins may want to look into this, especially when we don't really know what's going to be going on with the QB position. Is Tannehill going to come back fully healthy? Are they going to go with Matt Moore again? Are they going to draft a quarterback? We talked about Baker Mayfield saying he wanted to go to Miami. So, you know, there's a lot of question marks when it comes to the Dolphins. Why not put it, make a statement and have two dynamic running backs and follow that, follow that same formula that has been working for some other teams of having two premier backs and really, you know, eating up some yardage in the beginning of these ball games. And of course, you save fifteen million dollars and move three spots up in the draft at the eighth overall pick. And no offense, but Jarvis Landry hasn't done much for Miami over the past couple of years. So you're you're trading away a guy that, in my opinion has been slightly overrated and slightly overpaid. No, he had a good year last year. Oh, no. He has, he has a great, phenomenal stat-wise. Stat yes, he has great years there. But to me, there are better options than Jarvis Landry out there. And by trading Landry for a guy like Howard, in my opinion, Miami might be getting the better end of that deal. That would be an interesting part. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see. Overall, I think automatically the Miami Dolphins are not going to have Jarvis Landry on their team. Because uh, they're looking to trade him as he's left to that one-year deal. And it doesn't look like the team doesn't even want to franchise tag him. Uh, they want to go an alternative route. So it certainly looks like Landry's going to get traded. It's just a matter of to who and for what. It's uh, going into the NBA for a little bit. Uh, I was like, do we finally have a team that can possibly beat the Golden State Warriors four times in a seven-game series? The Houston Rockets currently sit at the best record in the NBA, 49-13, and 13, one less loss than the Warriors. They have the second best home record in the NBA, and the Rockets have won 15 games in a row, and they're 2-1 against Golden State this season, their only loss being the one game where James Harden didn't play against Golden State. So, in your mind, are the Rockets currently the only team you can see that can beat the Golden State Warriors in a seven-game series? My answer to that is yes, partially. I wouldn't say that they're the only team that I can see. I think they're the only team that, to me, has a realistic chance uh, of getting it done, honestly. Um, you know, last year, I thought, I, you know, last year, I believe, on, on my show, on my radio show, we talked about the same topic. Oh, well, can the Rockets be a legit threat? And I told you, hey, watch out for the Rockets. Didn't turn out so well. Mainly the reason why last year, in my opinion, when I go back and look at that, is because James Harden was literally doing everything. You know, they moved him to the point guard position, and he was their assist leader. He was their point scorer. He was basically doing everything for the team, which is not a bad thing. LeBron James does that for the Cavaliers, but now the Rockets bring in Chris Paul, and Chris Paul can dictate the offense now. And, and you know, James Harden still runs the offense, but now Chris Paul can spread the floor. He can feed it to James Harden. He can feed it to Clint Capella. Just adding Chris Paul alone made this team so much deeper. Guys that were starting now move to the bench. It lengthens out their lineup. And honestly, the Rockets are a great offensive team in my mind. They play some pretty good defense, even though Mike D'Antoni is the coach of them. Didn't preach much defense in New York. But for some reason, the Rockets get it done. I love Clint Capella. I think he's one of the better, most underrated big men um, in the league right now. And then, of course, you have a guy like James Harden, who's pretty much unstoppable. He's a great, you know, he has 
great offensive mind. And honestly, James Harden is one of the better players, top five NBA players in the league right now. Not afraid to say that. And he's definitely in the debate for best overall player in the game right now, too, up there with Steph Curry, with LeBron James, with Kevin Durant. So now, with that being said, when I compared him to Golden State, and this is why I go back and forth a little bit, because I still believe we haven't really seen the real Golden State Warriors. Why? Because they make comments like, we're tired, we're bored, we want the playoffs to start. And again, when you're a team... And, and, you know, a lot like Cleveland, right? When you're a team that you know you're going to make the playoffs, you know you're going to make it. It doesn't matter if you finish with the first seed or the eighth seed. You're going to be in the playoffs. You get bored during the regular season. And are should you really play at 100%, you know, should you really play really hard for a spot you know you're going to have? Or should you save it and turn it up come playoff time? And that, to me, is a very dangerous game you're playing. Because if you're the Warriors, you don't want to turn it up too late. Because teams like the Rockets or teams like the Spurs can catch fire and realistically pass you by. And we've seen it this season. And I don't know, again, I don't, I don't know if this is a thing that we should be concerned with or not, but the Warriors do not play well against teams that have bigger size on them. And the Rockets are a very physical team. Clint Capella is a huge man. Nene is still around there for them too. You know, the Rockets can bully you around in the paint, you know, on the floor. They're a very physical team. This is a team that the Golden State Warriors can really struggle with. But again, it's the question is, can the Warriors flip that switch yet again, come playoff time and say, nope, we're still the best. We were just saving it for when it counts. You know, it, I don't know if there's really any teams that can beat Golden State in a seven-game series. I think that's going to have to be decided pretty much when it happens. Uh, but right now, I think the Rockets have the best chance. Uh, they certainly played very well against Golden State this season uh, when... Harden, Paul, and Capella are all on the floor at the same time. I think the team is like 30-1 and one this season. It's a, it's a ridiculous stat, but one of the big question marks is going to be, you know, we're only in March. We still have like two months to go before the playoffs. Can Chris Paul stay healthy at that time? And one of the other keys I think that the Rockets need to do is they can't drain themselves. It's If you're up by a lot, and the Rockets are a team that are going to put up a massive amount of points, they're going to outscore a lot of the teams that they play, there's going to come a point where, hey, James Harden, it's not worth filling up your stats to try and win MVP, or Chris Paul, it's not worth filling up your stats and running around some more. Why don't you sit down a little bit, sit out these last couple minutes? Because that's what pretty much Golden State did last year when it came to Steph Curry. That's what a lot of these times the Warriors do overall in some of these games when they're just blowing out opponents. They just bench them for the entire quarter. It's not worth putting them in for. And I think the same has to be said about the Houston Rockets because the last thing you want to do is tire yourself out come the playoffs because I'm pretty sure when the playoffs get here, the Warriors are finally going to kick it into gear, maybe not in the first round or two, but when they finally get to see Houston, maybe it's not too late and they'll kick it into deer and they'll be able to play against Houston. But for Houston, they got to be healthy going into that series. they got to be rested going into that series. And they can't do that half the time if they're playing guys when they're up by 15 with a couple minutes left and no reason for them to be in. So there's parts where it's just not necessary. and But certainly if there's one team at the moment that has the best chance of beating Golden State... I think it's the Houston Rockets. Uh, lastly, for our podcast episode 24, uh, you know, we're going to talk something good about the uh, the Ball family. Uh, Alonzo Ball has played extremely well over the last couple of games. Alonzo is averaging 12 points, sits at .8 rebounds, 7 plus assists, and even 2.5 steals a game. The Lakers are starting to have some real success. They're 17-7 and seven in their last 24 games. And I'm not going to say that they're a playoff team or they're, they, they have a chance of making the playoffs, but I am going to ask you, though, is are we finally seeing the Lonzo Ball, the Lakers? Because I don't know if everyone hoped for I think a lot of people hoped that he would struggle. But are we finally seeing the Lonzo Ball that the Lakers hoped for? And we've finally seen the Laker team that is basically, after a couple of years of rebuilding, finally at? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. And I think, like you said, a lot of people would hope that he would have struggled. But I think a lot of people realistically 
they knew that Lonzo Ball was going to be a success. I mean, this kid, he has a lot of skills and he has too much talent to honestly be a flop in the NBA. I don't see him being a flop in the NBA when it's all said and done. I think he's going to be a very good player. I'm not going to write him into the Hall of Fame like his dad is. Um, but I will admit, I think Lonzo Ball is going to be a good point guard when it's all said and done come the end of his career or whatever. But in terms of the Lakers, yeah, you want to see this. And, you know, what I'm seeing is a kid who's finally settling in, right? You know, there are guys who come out of the draft and they come blazing saddles and they're throwing up points like crazy. And, you know, like someone like Donovan Mitchell, who's just red hot fire out the gate, right? But for some guys, it takes a while, even for the top guys, even for the first overall pick. I mean, hey, Markel Fultz hasn't even played in a legit game yet, I believe. Or he's played in a couple of games, but he hasn't seen the court since, right? So Lonzo Ball just takes a lot of time. Like, and of course, because of who he is and because who his family is, that's why there was extra pressure on him. But when it's all said and done, we were going to give this kid a courtesy year or two anyways to develop. And I think it is different now. And you get that feeling that it is different for the Lakers now, too, because it's not just Lonzo Ball. It's guys like Kyle Kuzma. It's drafting guys like John Hart. I feel like the Lakers have a good mix of young guys now that are really starting to settle in. Brendan Ingram's playing a lot better, too, as well, too. You're not hearing as much about him, but he's playing really good basketball right now. So for the time being, you have a guy like Isaiah Thomas there. Lonzo Ball should be learning as much as he can from someone like Isaiah Thomas, who's a pretty good point guard as well, too. Um, you know, who's a very unorthodox point guard, just like Lonzo Ball is. So in a lot of ways, this is a chance for this Lakers team. They know they're not going anywhere. They know they're not making the playoffs. They're not going to catch anybody by surprise. They're not going to get that eighth seed. So it's a chance for them to just play basketball and play spoiler for a couple of teams that are in a playoff chase. You know, that's always, that always gets teams motivated, too. It's a chance for this Lakers team to relax, find themselves and play basketball, which is looks like what they're doing now. Yeah, th- this is kind of the Lonzo ball like the Lakers have hoped for. Yeah, that you know, you know he's not putting up twenty plus points a game. He's not that type of scorer. But what he is, and you don't need him to either. No, it, what the Lakers do have right now, especially with Isaiah Thomas as well, is four players that average more than fi- uh, that average fifteen points a game, and I, Lonzo's not part of that list at the end of the day. Um, but Lonzo is averaging pretty well, averaging 12, but he's getting those rebounds. He's getting those assists. He's playing decent defense. I don't think he's ever going to be a great defensive player. Um, and obviously against San Antonio, we saw him hit those three-pointers. Impressively, went, what, six of 10 from three? He had six three-pointers in the game. Uh, so this is, I think, what the Lakers can hope for and what the Lakers are hoping to build around a Lonzo Ball player that's able to put up stats all around, but he's not going to be that leading scorer. You're still going to need that leading scorer at the end of the day, but you get guys like Lonzo, like Brandon Ingram, that are going to be able to put some stats everywhere. Uh, so it's going to be interesting what the Lakers are still going to be deciding to do over these, obviously this offseason and next year, but uh, when the Lakers are having some success, it's very good in the NBA uh, it, because of just the, the market they hold, the franchise that they are. Uh, the, obviously, when you consider Hollywood and the celebrities that come to the games, it, it's it's always important when teams like the Lakers, the Knicks, and the Celtics are doing well. And unfortunately, two of those teams are really struggling. One team is always injured. <laughs> Knits. Um, but no, I, I'm I'm enjoying it right now. It's it's fun to watch, and hopefully, as long as Lavar Ball stays quiet, it's even more enjoyable for me. Uh, however, I am looking at spreads, and I'm I'm liking Portland tonight. Portland is a two point favorite over the Lakers. In Portland, L- Port- <laughs> yes, Portland, Portland, Portland. Got it. <laughs> hey, Portland's the three seed. The, the New York accent came out of you for a second. Portland, yeah, yeah, the New York accent. It's rare I have one. I think. At least I hope. Uh, but uh, no, the, uh, the Portland Trailblazers are a three seed right now in the Western Conference. They're 8-2 and two in the last 10 games. I know the Lakers are playing extremely well also, but the Portland Trailblazers are a much better offense. They're only a two-point favorite over the Lakers in a road game, and I'm really liking Portland to take the win in this scenario and to cover the spread. So I'm looking at that, especially when you consider that the Lakers are coming off of really a big team win 
against the San Antonio Spurs. And we always talked about when a team gets that big win or, or they're on that high and then they fall off and crash from it. And I think that could be this point for the Lakers. I'm not saying they're going to lose the next 10 games, but I certainly think they're going to lose tonight against the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, that's, that's my spread of the day uh, as far as that's concerned. Um, with that, let's go into Beard Bat. Uh, And we only have two today, and we're going back to 1985. Again, we're looking back on March 5th. The New York Islanders' Mike Bosley is first to score 50 goals in eight straight seasons. And then in 1991, Reggie Miller of the Indiana Pacers uh, begins an NBA free throw streak of 52 games. So an impressive one there by Reggie Miller. Again, not much going on on March 5th, and... Of course, uh, with Beardback is always our dude and dunce of the week. And my dude of the week has to be Oscar winner, Kobe Bryant. Not just winning NBA Finals, he's winning Oscars as well uh, for his animated short Deer Basketball. And I, I even loved it even more. I'm a huge Kobe Bryant fan. Part of the reason I'm a Lakers fan is because of Kobe Bryant. Uh, pretty much the entire reason I'm a Lakers fan is because Kobe Bryant, so it's no surprise he's going to be the dude of the week. But I also love that during the little uh, speech that I did, well, I don't know if it's possible as a basketball player we're really supposed to shut up and dribble, uh, but I'm glad we do a little bit more than that. And I thought that was great that Kobe Bryant was able to mention that uh, after basically I think Laura Ingram had said something to LeBron James and Kevin Durant after they had made that video in the car uh, talking about politics a little bit and being an African-American man and about Donald Trump. Uh, So that was a great response uh, by Kobe Bryant as far as that part as well. And both reasons for winning the Oscar, his line during it, and of course, congratulations for winning an Oscar to Kobe Bryant. But as always with the dude of the week, we have a dunce of the week. And Jose, who is our dunce of the week? Well, before we get into that, too, just to show you how good Kobe is, Leonardo DiCaprio has made what? Countless movies? One Oscar. Kobe Bryant makes one movie? One Oscar. So, officially, the GOAT in all senses, in all ways of the word, the GOAT can be used. Kobe Bryant is the GOAT. Now on to dunce of the week. And you know, Nick, a lot of people think I have an easy job. It's not. There's so many options. People do a lot of stupid things. People say a lot of stupid things. And it's just, you know, there's a whole method that goes into it. You know, it's it's an analysis bait. You know, I I put string against the wall. I map out everything people say. Um, But this week, someone made it very, very, very easy for me. And his name is not LeVar Ball, which was the even shocking part. The best part was that our dunce of the week is J.R. Smith. Yes, J.R. Smith. We all love him from when his time in the New York Knicks. But why is he the dunce of the week? Perhaps you haven't heard yet. If you haven't, I don't know where you've been. But J.R. Smith, apparently something happened in shoot-around for the Cavaliers the other day in which it resulted in him throwing a bowl of soup at the assistant head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers. He threw a bowl of soup at the assistant coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, Nick, I don't know about you, but in all my years of being in a locker room, which weren't many, or just being around sports in general. We spent some time in the Staten Island Yankees locker room, CSI's locker room, wherever, your local school's locker room. Never have I seen a bowl of soup fly across the room as somebody else, which to me marvels the fact I'm just, there's so many ways to dissect this. First of all, what's the reaction to someone throwing a bowl of soup? What kind of soup was it? Where was LeBron James? Was he concerned about the soup hitting the assistant coach? And then we later found out that it was actually chicken tortilla soup. I don't even know what that tastes like, but now I'm intrigued to find out. So there's just so many points that come away from this. But, of course, J.R. Smith never seems to fail. We love you. We miss you in New York dearly. From untying people's shoes to downing a bottle of Henny after a contract extension to losing your shirt for five straight days after winning a championship. J.R. Smith, you are everyone's guilty pleasure of a hero. So, J.R. Smith, dunce of the week. Congrats, my brother. Uh, as Thankfully, it wasn't chicken noodle. Yeah, that, I mean, that, no. That's just, you can't throw chicken noodle. There's some things you can't do as a man, and throwing chicken noodle soup, you should not do that. That's just a waste. No, it's just, it's just too good to enjoy chicken noodle soup. And if you would have thrown that, then that's over the top on how much you don't like somebody. 
because you're willing to throw a bowl of chicken noodle. Also, he got suspended one game, which is a sad part that marijuana <laughs> results in more suspension than throwing bowls of soup. Just a side note. I don't mean to get political for a second, but a little sad. Just saying. And, of course, thank you for listening to Sarasso and the Beard Podcast, episode 24. Once again, I'm Nick Sarasso. And, and I'm talking Beard Jose Rivera. And one of the big things we want to point out is episodes 25 and 26 are going to be big episodes for the two of us because we're going to be talking a lot of baseball. I think we uh, decided that 25 we're going to be talking about the American League, breaking down the divisions, who we have winning the divisions, each team, uh, what's the big moves that they've made during the offseason. And then, of course, in episode 26, we'll be talking about the National League, even giving our World Series predictions at the time, because, of course, you need to have predictions before the season starts. So we'll give a couple of predictions of where we have MVPs, Cy Youngs, World Series pits. So... For our big baseball fans, this is going to be an exciting time, these next two episodes as well. It is March, and of course, March Madness is coming soon. So once the entire tournament and the bracket is played out, we'll be giving our predictions of our own Final Four, who our big sleeper team is, what are some of our teams to look out for, uh, what's going to be a bracket bust breaker for a lot of teams. So Keep note of that as well. Once that comes out, that will be going into our next episode as well, midst into the AL or the NL episode. So stay tuned. And as always, thank you for listening to Sarasso and the Beard. I'm Nick Sarasso. He is Jose Rivera, a.k.a. The Talking Beard. And thank you again for listening to podcast episode 24 of Sarasso and the Beard. Using an overpriced trash bag? Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks? Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag? Stinky, stinky, stinky! You gotta snag Hefty's Ultra Strong Trash Bag. Always at an ultra low price. Hefty, hefty, hefty! It has Arm & Hammer odor control, so your nose and your wallet will be... Happy, happy, happy! Hefty Ultra Strong Trash Bags. Hefty Strong, all day long. Hefty, hefty, hefty!